0: Hello, and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President at the Institute of International Finance. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss the long-awaited and much-discussed G7 price cap on Russian oil exports that is set to go into effect the day that this podcast is released, December 5th. There's been a lot of discussion leading up to this price cap since it was introduced back in the summer. But before explaining the price cap, let's first figure out how did we get here. Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022 resulted in several packages of sanctions against Russia. Those packages continue, by the way. However, one big gap remained in the sanctions regime, which was Russia's energy exports, particularly natural gas and oil. Following the invasion, as Russia's continued exporting energy and the price of commodities went up, Russia's current account surplus increased dramatically. This year, for instance, from January to September, the current account surplus stood at $198 billion. That is roughly $120 billion higher than the surplus during the same period in 2021 and more than double the previous surplus record. Obviously, this is not exactly great for a sanctions regime, We discussed this in more depth on episode 10 of Current Account with my colleague, Alina Rybakova. So in March of 2022, in an attempt to limit the revenue that Russia makes from its energy exports, the United Kingdom and the United States put an embargo on Russia's export of these commodities. However, they're not big importers of Russian exports. The much larger importer of Russian energy exports is the European Union. So eventually, over the summer, the EU agreed to a full embargo of Russian seaborne oil exports. I say seaborne because pipeline exports of Russian oil are not affected by this embargo. And part of the embargo was to include sanctions for insurance companies that insured Russian oil exports by ship. Implementation was designated for December 5th, which, by the way, is the release date of this podcast for seaborne crude oil exports, and on February 5th of 2023, for petroleum product exports. There is no embargo or sanctions on natural gas exports by Russia to the EU. This decision that was made in June to July, when oil prices were at very high levels, led to a major concern that such an oil embargo could limit global supply. Russia, by the way, is 10% of all global production of oil and it could increase prices dramatically. So this then became a dual objective for the U.S. initiative of capping the price of oil exports from Russia. The initiative was to allow Russia to export its oil by sea, but to cap the price of such exports and using sanctions on the insurers, which are largely based out of Europe, to help enforce such a cap. The dual objectives are this. first starve Russia to a certain extent of revenue from oil exports. And second, to keep Russia maintaining its volume of sales so that oil markets are not disturbed too much. Now, as one can tell, these two objectives can easily come into conflict. If you put the price cap too low, Russia may refuse to sell its oil. But if you put it too high, Russia will not have to worry too much because it'll address its needs for revenue quite easily. So while the countries in the G7, the United States, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Japan, Italy, and Canada, plus the European Union have agreed to use such a price cap, several countries, notably China and India, are not on board. It has also raised concerns for other exporting countries, particularly looking at OPEC the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. In other words, that if this oil price cap turned out to be successful, it created almost a a buyer's monopoly or a monopsony, to put it using economic jargon, to cap the price of oil. This would be bad for OPEC if it was replicated. Now, the G7 would say that there is no intentions of replicating it. They just wanted to do this for Russia. But you could see why this could raise concerns. A second issue is, what is the right price cap? And that price cap is crucial, as noted before. It is hard to find such a price. First, you want to find it above the production costs for Russia in order for them to want to actually continue to sell, but you don't want it to be too high either. Given that prices have fallen from roughly $120 a barrel back when this initiative was launched to the mid-80s today, which is probably driven much more by the fall in global demand as the world economy has declined, finding that balance has become even more tricky than it was back in the summer. Within the European Union, there is disagreement about what is the right level of such a price cap. Some countries, namely Poland, believe the price should be around $30 per barrel. Many believe that this is around a break-even price for Russian uh, production costs. Other countries, however, believe that this cost will, first of all, incentivize Russia not to sell its oil because it would barely be making any type of revenues. And secondly, it would actually harm some of the key shipping countries that are also EU countries, such as Greece and Malta. These countries and others are invested in keeping the oil flowing between Russia and the rest of the world in order to avoid, I guess, in some cases bankrupting their companies and in other cases just not upsetting the oil markets too much. So they would rather see a oil price capped closer to $60 or $65. As a recording of this, it appears that the EU has come up with a final price of around $60. Now, this has not been agreed by the EU But it it looks like that is kind of the price that will be had. If this is true, then it is clearly shown the one objective, not disturbing the oil markets, has overtaken the other objective of starving Russia from cash. One other point about the price cap is that it's hard to figure out exactly how it will be implemented and whether it can be implemented. It is important to note that this was a very creative mechanism, this price cap. However, it's never been tried before. Price caps in kind of almost all economic realms are notoriously difficult to implement. There are ways to try to get around them, and those ways have probably been increased the more time it takes to implement them. It's already been five months since this was announced, and we still have not begun implementation. And lastly, which is kind of unrelated uh, on implementation, is what does Russia do? Does Russia retaliate, which they have already shown an inclination to do? Do they basically say what they said, that any country that implements this price cap, they will stop exporting oil to? Are other countries not signing on? And so if they don't sign on, will they find side deals to get around these price caps? All of these issues are going to be difficult to work out. And obviously, the G7 countries are trying to make sure that their implementation steps and their enforcement steps are as robust as they possibly can be. So now it's time for my 3-2-1, My three takeaways, two things I'm looking forward to, and my one sports fact. The objective of the oil price cap has evolved. The original purpose of the price cap had the two objectives I mentioned, punish Russia economically, and to do so without disturbing global oil markets. The tension in this balance, however, has kind of swung very much towards the latter, not disturbing global oil markets. Next, as is the case with any form of sanctions, there is an implementation risk with a price cap. How will the price cap be enforced? How can we ensure that the price cap doesn't lead to illicit selling, laundering, or side deals? How do we make sure that the insurers that are involved actually do the sanctions and that alternative insurers don't pop up to actually start taking care of these deals who are not subject to those sanctions? And third, it is still uncertain how exactly the price cap will affect the Russian economy. Russia is already selling its oil at a discounted price, and they have known for months that the price cap would go into effect in December, meaning that they may have already accounted for this. And in fact, their budget projections have a price that is lower than the price cap that is actually being set by the EU. Two things that I'm looking forward to. First, of course, is as the price cap goes into effect this week, how will energy markets react? And second, I'll be watching to see how the price cap impacts the Russian economy in 2023. 2022 has clearly been a negative year for the Russian economy, in fact, much more negative than what would have been expected before Russia invaded Ukraine. The outlook for the Russian economy in 2023 will be difficult to predict due to a variety of uncertainties. The direction and longevity of this war, fluctuations in energy prices and in production, and the efficacy of financial and technology sanctions in harming the Russian economy. Plus, there's the added risk and uncertainty that Russia will attempt to circumvent these sanctions. And my one sports fact of the week. The World Cup is in full swing, and that's the World Cup of soccer or, outside of the United States, football. And let me be frank, it has been glorious. There are lots of great stories out there and many interesting takes, but I thought I'd just focus on how much this has become the World Cup. I say it that way because as of this recording, 14 of the 16 countries have been decided for the knockout stages. This means that the remainder of the original 32 World Cup countries have been eliminated. Of the 16 countries that will get through, every major region in the world is already represented. So there's the typical powerhouses of Western Europe, such as France, the Netherlands, and England as well as South America, Brazil, and Argentina. There are also the Eastern European countries, such as Croatia. But on top of that, there's North America, which is represented by the United States, Asia, which is represented by Japan, and Australia, by the way, the best nickname out there, which is the Socceroos. Then there is Sub-Saharan Africa, which is Senegal, and Northern Africa, Morocco. And then if you look at the Middle East, while there's not a country that has gotten through to the next stage, Saudi Arabia pulled off the biggest upset of the tournament when they beat Argentina in their first game. I'm hopeful that one, if not more, of the teams can make the semifinals, and here's why. Only one Asian team has ever made it to the semifinals. No African team has made it, although Ghana almost made it back in 2010 when they played Uruguay, and actually today's game is Ghana versus Uruguay and what's considered a revenge match for Ghana. And then no North American team has ever made it. And yes, that's where I'll probably end. I'll be rooting for the United States this Saturday. Yes, a little jingoism on my part, and hopefully to upset the Netherlands. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Current Account. And as always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show as we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. We can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. And make sure to tune in on Monday of next week for our next episode, where I'll be discussing and, let's face it, demystifying the idea of blended finance with my colleague, Sonia Gibbs, who's the Managing Director and Head of Sustainable Finance here at the Institute of International Finance. That and all of our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.